0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the European Tour Podcast with me, Dan Burke, brought to you by OneFootball. I've got just one guest with me this week. Uh, maybe we'll be getting another surprise guest dropping in later. We'll see, see how that goes. But for now, I'm joined by Daniel Cadena jordan How are you doing, Danny? Yo,
1: yo, yo. Thanks for the invite again, Dan. Uh, quite well, actually. A lot of interesting weekend in football, so looking forward to talking about that a bit.
0: Indeed, indeed. I'm, I'm killing two birds with one stone this week because not only are you an expert on Spanish football, but you also make a Spanish Bundesliga podcast. Podcast, do you not.
1: I do, I do. I have one with our possible surprise guest later on, uh, also <laughs> colleague and one football, Nahuel. Uh, yeah, we talk about German football in Spanish, which is a bit of a niche market, if you allow me to say. Mm. Uh, but yeah, people need news and we have it for them, so fair play to us, I guess.
0: <laughs> Are you the only Spanish-speaking Bundesliga
1: podcast? Oh, no, there's... <sighs> I think of at least three or four but uh, oh really yeah, okay. yeah you'd be surprised it's a bit crowded for the size of the market but it's actually quite interesting how you know uh, German football in particular actually have like this very interesting following in Spanish it's not massive it's not like you get that many you know fans outside of Bayern maybe but uh, mm. a lot of people are kind of keen on reporting about it so it's it's quite nice to see that camaraderie building and all that.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, it's interesting um how because we have the the streaming rights in Brazil as well, don't we, for for the Bundesliga yes, f- yes. one football. Interesting how many fans there are over that side of the world as well. Yeah, it's uh you'd almost think it was quite a niche um league really the Bundesliga worldwide. But uh yeah, it's got a lot of fans, hasn't it?
1: It does have some following and especially Brazil, Brazil and Argentina maybe are the two strongest markets uh like in South Latin America. Uh but mm. um but yeah, like you'd be surprised with how many people uh, kind of started following German football since you know the 2014 World Cup, Bayern becoming like a powerhouse in Europe again. All that kind of like led the Bundesliga to being a bit more on the spotlight outside of Germany once once again.
0: Mm. I think it was that um, Bayern Dortmund uh, Champions League final. I bet that was a big. A turning point for German football, sort of global appeal as well, wasn't it? Because I remember a lot of people in, in England really getting into German football that year.
1: Yeah, I mean that was basically the turning point. I reckon, like first time in ever, like the German final for a Champions League. It was a really good game too, that helped a lot. Uh, and out of that Dortmund, out of that Bayern, well out of Bayern, no one came out, but you know Dortmund had Ilkay Gundogan that day. Uh, there was So yeah. no Blachikowski. There was like a really good set of players on pitch. And, uh, Mario G- well, Margotsky didn't play actually. He was uh, already booked by Bayern to be signed.
0: That's right. He was in the stands, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah, a bit
1: awkward there, <laughs> but, you know, for a player for him to show up at the end. But, um, but, yeah, I think that was like sort of like the turning point for people outside of Germany to realize that German football was actually kind of interesting and there was something to talk about. And, you know, the whole you know, Bayern versus Dortmund or whatever challenger they had at that time besides Dortmund, um, I don't know, kind of like woke up a bit of fandom uh, elsewhere nowadays.
0: (laughs) Well, that brings us neatly onto our first topic of the week, which is Borussia Dortmund and their 1-1 draw with Augsburg at the weekend, which leaves them eight points adrift of Bayern Munich at the top of the Bundesliga. First, I want to ask you what the reaction was like to Dortmund's exit from the Europa League last week. I was almost expecting heads to roll after that. Maybe Marco Rosa was going to lose his job, but the fallout doesn't seem to have been too dramatic, does it really?
1: It's a bit frustrating for anybody outside the Dortmund fan, uh, fan base. They seem to be okay, not okay with the situation, definitely, but they seem to be okay with how it's being handled, maybe. Whereas outside the club, you don't really have an understanding of why they're not sacking a coach who's not really, you know, delivering um, the results that were kind of expected. Yes, they're second in the Bundesliga, but as you say, they're already, you know, quite behind uh, Bayern at the table. They're already out of European football fully, like not only Champions League, but also Europa League now. Uh, And they're out of the cup. So by any measurement, I think it's a a very disappointing season at Dortmund. I think the only way to get out of this would be to weasel the way to winning the Bundesliga. But you you could argue it's one of the most unlikely scenarios in football nowadays, isn't it? top, we back yeah. from the
0: top. Yeah. Do, what, what do you think Rose's targets would have been at the start of the season? Do you think he, they would have set him any targets this year or they would have just said this is kind of a bedding in season, we'll see how it goes and do you think he'll get he'll get another chance at it next season regardless now?
1: Well, I think at the beginning of the season, having Haaland uh, and Bellingham, I'm pretty sure the ambition wasn't that uh, coy maybe. You know, maybe not being champions in Germany but definitely giving Bayern a run for their money or, be, you know, within three points or, or relatively close to Bayern to the table at this point in any case. Uh, they would probably bet on reaching at least a quarterfinals in the Champions League and a decent cup run in the domestic league in the Pokal but um yeah neither nor and uh, the league is just you know like a what's been the last years basically like a Dortmund that is really really um behind its objectives and a Bayern that is simply just not stopping and taking advantage of yeah. every single chance uh, Dortmund gives them to get a bit further away in the in the stands or anything.
0: Yeah, there was a, there was also a story last week about Jude Bellingham getting pretty angry with Nico Schultz during that Rangers game saying, you're shit, was basically, wasn't he? Or or, or, or words to that effect. Do you think that, that kind of sums up the frustration <laughs> at Dortmund at the moment among the, their better players towards some of their uh, less talented players, let's say?
1: I mean, the quote is hilarious because he goes... <laughs> it's just basically a dude ranting. I'm like, every fucking time, every fucking pass... You're shit. He basically called Nico Schultz, which is, you know, fair play. I mean, I kind of agree with him too, but <laughs> yeah, not on the pitch, guy. Um, but I think it does some things. It, it sums up things in two ways. First of all, it's definitely very frustrating for a certain sect uh, section of the of the yeah, the team at this point. Uh, you know, the, the more talents at once, as you were saying. And second, it does give you an idea how big the gap is between the better players and the roster players. Let's call them that. Um, because I mean for our, from where I stand players like Nico Schulz Felix Pas- uh, Paslack Marius wolf they have no business playing in Champions League do they? Uh, or at least a team that's a Champions League contender these guys are mm. mid-table Bundesliga players at best maybe um, but it's also sort of like a consequence of Dortmund not bolstering up the depth in their squad now they have a couple of injuries, Mune is out again uh, but with you know Holland being missing for a while. so you do realize that they're kind of like stretching really really thin this squad and I, that I guess is one argument that Marcus Rosa could have in his behalf or in' his favor uh, to sort of justify a relatively you know uh, mediocre season for at Dortmund where you know he didn 't have his best player, namely Haaland, for many matches so far. And, uh, yeah, that many of the players of the cast, of the cast players maybe haven't been up to par to the expectations or the or the sports planning, at least.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask about Haaland, actually. It's uh, it's 10 Bundesliga matches he's missed already this season due to injury. Do you think it'd be a different story if he was available? And are there any concerns about his his fitness record at the
1: moment? Yeah, that's sort of like something I kind of wanted to talk to here, actually. Um, I do believe that he would have made a huge difference. I mean, he's a guy that averages a goal per game every time he plays. So, he, you know, I think 10 goals would have been... Uh, a huge difference with Dortmund at one point or another. They probably would have won a couple more and uh, not let Bayern slip away that easily. Um, and I think the fitness part is not something just concerning Dortmund. I think it pretty con- it's a lot of people that are actually interested in him, it's namely Real Madrid. Maybe were the biggest or the, the, the loudest sounding name for a while. Um, he's missed i think it's just north of 60 gate uh, next 60 days already this this season due to injury so mm. and in this case and this kid's under 23 like this is not supposed to be happening this quick for him um and wise dortmund are basically relying on marco Royce, who's 32 years old and an 18 year old joe bellingham who kept to basically steer the ship on their own And obviously they're not having him around Haaland, mean i mean uh it's probably a huge concern and it, it basically screws up the whole plan because Holland's out who you're playing as a nine Malin, who's definitely not the same quality or profile as Holland uh Royce who's definitely also known mm-hmm. for having you know a long history with injuries and all that so I'm not sure everyone's you know kind of sleeping that easily not only just because of the sports track of Dortmund this season but also what Haaland's kind of going through right now
0: yeah I feel like there's a lot less talk these days about Haaland potentially staying one more year at Dortmund as as has been floated yeah. before it seems very likely that he's going to leave this summer and I feel like it's probably a good thing for them if he does go uh, you know they can get some money for him reinvest that in the squad by a by a new number nine who hopefully is uh, you know going to have a bit better luck with injuries next season and, and maybe next year they, they can they can start uh, moving forward again
1: yeah not only that but also to invest in a bit of the depth. Like, you have to... I mean, you have to get players to, you know, be good substitute players at this point. Like, you can't count on luck you can't count on Stieges, you can't count on Schultz, players that are definitely not performing right now. Uh, when they have all the opportunities to perform, it's not like they've had one bad game and here we're talking, you know, some smack about that match. We're talking about a very, very discreet season from the club and a very worrying one from several players that were meant to sort of, like, step up whenever these moments arose, which basically you know, we're bound to happen. Every every football t- uh, team has injuries. That's that's out of the question. But mm. um, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of weird. And they kind of need to basically bolster every, in, what, four or five positions at least. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, well, that money will certainly help them do that. Uh, as I mentioned, Bayern Munich are now eight points clear at the top after they won 1-0 at Frankfurt on Sunday. Leroy Zanet came off the bench to score the winning goal. Would you say he's, he's grown quite significantly as a Bayern player this season? And if so, what do you put that down to?
1: Oh, totally. I think it's a... I think it's mo- mostly like a mind thing. Uh, he's always had the talent, we know that. The injury, the, the I think it was an ACL, he tore one of his knees um, that kept him out for a while. Um, I think that kind of played in his hindering last season, at least, where you could tell he was second guessing himself every chance he had. He was not that, you know, aggressive on the one on ones. Like, he wasn't. He was kind of erratic in his decision making, totally. Whereas here, you do notice that he's sort of found his place. He has realized the talent that he has, and obviously, I do think the fact that he's now being coached by Nagelsmann on one front and the national team uh, by Flick uh, on the other, he seems to be in good hands as well. And and you can see he's playing, you know, a very you know fluid kind of football now. Uh, he's passing on par he's i think what second most second most assist in the team behind thomas müller something like that mm. uh and i think second most goals behind uh behind lewandowski like so like he's up there definitely a top 3 in a team that is very very crowded with talent uh and i mean he's earned it and he's done everything right to this point to be you know, uh, being considered as you said, a, a proper buyer and player at this point.
0: Yeah. It's interesting his uh, his positional uh, sort of trajectory that he's gone on during his career because I remember when he was playing for Schalke a few years ago, he would he would play on the right more often than not and kinda of cutting onto his left foot. Then when he joined Man City, he was played there for quite a bit of the first few months of his time at City and it wasn't really working. He didn't he took a long time to settle. Then towards the end of his first season, Guardiola moved him over to the left and he was playing on his stronger foot and he was beating, you know, men like an old traditional winger, whipping crosses in with his left foot, scoring goals with his left foot, and I thought, wow, this guy is the best left sided player in the world and will be for a long time. And now he's gone back to Bayern and he's back in he's sort of playing in the middle now, isn't he? Which is somewhere that I never really thought was his game. But I always thought he'd be the kind of the guy who would get chalk on his boots out on the touchline, beating fullbacks and that kind of thing, but he seems to have developed a bit more positional intelligence this season, to me.
1: Yeah, I think uh, they realized that maybe he did lose some speed or knock some speed off uh, from from the injury and all that, and kind mm-hmm. of has kind of been struggling with that particularly. Also, Byron have sort of like a, a luxury issue in the sense that you know you have Gnabry, you have Kuman, you have him. So either you bench one of, them, one of them or you get to play all three, just readjusting one way or another. And that was sort of like the story at the beginning of the season. Like Napri and Koman were like, well, mainly Napri was playing on the right side, then on the left, whenever he was accompanying Zane on the wide. Um, but then he just figured, well, you could just fit, fit these three players and and sort things out that kind of way. You know? And uh, I don't know, like they really haven't lost that much balance uh, in the attack. Defense is a different story, but you know it does feel that down the middle he's doing a great job playing behind Mandowski. yeah
0: as for Eintracht frankfurt I, I thought they played okay here actually they, they looked quite good in patches uh, gave by a bit of a scare but uh, that's three defeats in a row now without scoring that leaves them 10th in the table how do you think they've been under oliver Glasner this season is it a bit of a can we call it a transitional season for them maybe
1: i think it wasn't planned to be one i just think that they're having a really hard time uh, or well to put it in a more direct way i don't think that the player that came in to the team to replace Andre Silva, who was a second top scorer last season uh, has been up to par and that lack of goals, which is basically what's happened. These past games uh, is, you know, hindered them a little bit because they're kind of defending with an expected uh, amount of, uh, you know, conceded goals for a Bundesliga team, but their attacking is just very, very slow at this point. Uh, they're scoring less than Kuhn, who are like a typically more defensive-minded team. They're scoring less than Minds, uh, and they're nowhere near to the numbers that are being scored within European positions right now. So mm. I don't know. I do see that they're them struggling to adjust to this new season without the same elements that they had maybe last season at that point.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, one team I'm, I'm really enjoying watching this season is by Leverkusen. They're looking very good for a top-four finish, uh, if not even a top-three finish, after a, a 3-0 win over Bielefeld. Uh, Musa Diaby has now got seven goals and one assist in his last five games for Leverkusen. Is he the kind of player that we, that we call a cheat code?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's having a great, great season so far. I think he's come a long way since, uh, you know... Being a bit unstable or maybe not as consistent as one would expect or want from him. Uh, But Mm -hmm. definitely I think a lot of it boils down to the coaching team right now. So Ane has brought this sort of new mentality, fresh approach to the way Dortmund, Dortmund, sorry, Leverkusen ought to be uh, facing a tournament. And the fact that the sports management department has sort of become a bit more aggressive in the market, getting better players, building up and bulking up uh, the the, the depth of the team. You kind of see that now. And uh, Diaby is also assisted by players like Wirtz, who's been like, fantastic as well, uh, a joy to watch. But Arabi has also had like a really good season. So you do see the team, something is definitely clicking within them. And like we said, they're really, really fun to watch. They can defend as a team, they can attack as a team. They really do feel like a block for the first time in ages. Uh, I can't remember the last time Leverkusen were actually, not necessarily entertaining, but definitely, uh, you know, they could play good football. And, you know, Diaby, I think, is the best example of what this team can produce when it comes to uh their model of basically being like a you know like a build-up team or like a stepping stone for young prospects towards a bigger club and Gaby's having the time of his life right now I reckon so yeah nothing bad there
0: yeah have you been impressed with the coach uh Suane this season he's, he's come from from young boys in Switzerland done really well he's got a bit of Spanish heritage hasn't he he's uh, played a very attractive attacking style of football
1: yeah, I, I was a bit, not iffy, but definitely didn't know enough about him at the beginning. But the more you see the team play, the more you see him react and, and sort of, like, fix things ha- halfway through the match. Kind of gives you an idea. He knows what he's doing. And, like I said, he does have a different mentality. Like, I mean, Peter Bosch and the coaches that came before Suane. I mean, for play to them, they tried their best. But it always felt like there was, like, they couldn't, you know, shift into an extra gear, where Suane does have that ability. Maybe it's the, the fact that he comes from, you know, be it a, a modest mid-sized league, like the Swiss one, but... Being a champion and having known how to build a team with very, you know, limited resources and uh, kind of like bolstering young boys into like a very decent position within Swiss football nowadays. Uh, I think he's, he's just making the best of it. And he's brought sort of that attitude to a team that was lacking that precisely uh, and that was just not perceived within the club by the players as, you know, a serious contender for something more than maybe making the Champions League. And they're doing just fine, honestly. I think he's done... He's left his mark on the team for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. We've got uh, Leverkusen in third now, uh, RB Leipzig in fourth. Is that how the table's going to look come the end of the season, do you think? I mean, Freiburg is still well well in touching distance. We've seen the likes of Köln uh, flirting with with uh, with Champions League football this season, Union Berlin. But do you think it'll be Leverkusen and Leipzig that make up the top four? Uh,
1: I think it's going to be those four teams. I'm not sure about the order, though. I think Dortmund could mm. slide a, a bit back. It all depends on how, how, back, how quickly Haaland comes back. And if he comes back in a good shape to stay on shape, in shape, sorry, for the rest of the season. because uh, Leverkusen are playing mad good right now with Suan, as we we're talking, but also mm-hmm. Domenico Tedesco's Leipzig has been fantastic. Like he just did a 180 on that team once he took over from Jesse Marsh. And uh, he's just exploiting all the qualities Leipzig also has as a club. And I don't know. I don't see I don't see Leverkusen and Leipzig dropping more points than Dortmund in the last stretch of the season, these last 10 games. So I think it's basically boiling down to, you know, Marco Rose actually you know, <laughs> qualifying Dortmund to the to the Champions League at this point, because the rest <laughs> of the teams, I mean, Freiburg is gonna it's gonna be Freiburg. It's always gonna be an interesting, fun team to watch, the the perennial underdog of the Bundesliga. Um, but do they have the gas in the tank necessary to go all the way through? I'm not sure. And Union losing mm-hmm. Max Cruz Max and a couple other figures during the latest transfers, uh, you can see they're a bit more wobbly than they used to be before before the January transfer window. So, I think it's just these four guys are gonna go for the run. It's gonna be really interesting to see what the Champions League fight. Looks
0: on from here on, yeah. Looks like the cream always rises to the top, doesn't it? As Indeed. They say. So yeah. that's
1: the fizz and cola. So
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had an interesting game at Gladbach at uh, the weekend as well, where they came from two 0 down to draw two two with Wolfsburg. Uh, very nearly won it right at the death. Uh, a, a goal disallowed for, for offside, I believe it was. Uh, Marcus Thuram scored his first goal of the season in this game, which I was uh, I was very surprised to learn. In my mind's eye, he'd scored more than one. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you, what's happened with him this season? Has his, has his development stalled a little bit in, in maybe the last couple of years? Because, you know, I remember thinking he looked like a, a terrifying prospect a couple of years ago, but not really seeing an awful lot from him at the moment.
1: Yeah, he, he, it, it kind of feels he got too comfortable or a bit too cocky with his talent. And, and you could show it. I mean, the fact that he's scoring his first game, what, 24 match days in? It's you know, mm. it's, it's not something you would have bet on at the beginning of the season for Marcus Terum. Um, I think it's just a, a good... Uh, Trump is a good, a good reflection or a good example of what uh, Gladbach is this season, right? Which is um, just complicated, a bit neurotic at one point, and Adi Hüter <laughs> hasn't really figured out how to set all the pieces of this Lego together to make it actually function. Um, the team is talented, no doubt. I mean, besides Zakaria leaving, they kind of held all the players from last season, which was not a bad squad to begin with. But uh, there's just something that isn't clicking Tactically, uh, mentally, you know, even socially, among the players, like you can see, everyone's kind of uncomfortable, a bit off, uh, and just going through the motions at this point, uh, which is kind of sad. Because Gladback of anything, were a really, really interesting uh, project that had been coming, working in Germany for the past decade or so, uh, and to see it kind of like crash against the wall this way, I don't know. It's a big wake-up call for them, but at the same time, you know, it's uh, it's kind of sad to see, isn't it?
0: Yeah, what, what's the situation with the uh, the sporting director at Gladbach now? We were talking a few weeks ago in the podcast about Max Eberl standing down. Have they got someone lined up for that yet?
1: Uh, not quite, not, de- not definitely right now. Like uh, they're still working a little bit on finding like uh, like a proper successor kind of thing. They have some like you know patching up or, or like a couple of names being floated mm. around, but the Max Eberl situation definitely, I'm not sure, caught them off guard. I mean, if a guy's suffering from burnout, you can kind of see that a mile away, but. At the same time, yeah. the problem with that team was, a, was sort of like the culture of, you know, give it to Max, he'll fix it. And, you know, now that he's gone, there's no fixer there. So yeah. how do you go around that now? You have to find a very specific sort of profile of a person able to sort of like daddy this team back into, you know, something cohesive, decent within a budget because are not necessarily made of money at this point. So I don't know. It's kind of <laughs> yeah, complicated. It, it, I'm not so optimistic about them finding the proper successor unless they dig really deep among the the lower ranks and maybe bring someone up from the second Bundesliga or figure something out from Bielefeld. I don't know, but it's complicated, definitely. Yeah, for
0: sure. Uh, meanwhile, in that game, uh, Jonas Vind scored his second goal in four appearances since joining Wolfsburg. Do you think he's going to be enough to fire them to safety? They've got Max Cruzo playing well for them as well, as you mentioned.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would give maybe Max Cruz a bit more credit there than Vind. Than Vind is a really good signing and he's done quite well. Two goals, four games. Uh, hasn't really played that much as well. Like he's come on as a sub a couple of times. Um, it kind of bothers me that they're going to save uh, Kofield's butt. And I'm not a big fan of the guy. Like he's not up for the task. And that's just bothering me because he's going to not be fired. Next season's going to come over. And the same exact story as with Marco Famboma at the beginning of the season is going to happen. And we're going to be just sit, standing here like, you know, basically repeating the same script we have right now. Which is a, a team that could definitely be doing better. But that because of shoddy management and, and poor decision making when it comes to appointing a coach... Yeah, they're stuck somewhere in no man's land. But have yeah, going back to the question, maybe uh, I do think that Kruse and Vin are going to make you know life a lot easier for people in Wolfsburg. And uh, yeah, I just as long as Kofi doesn't blow this up somehow, which I'm pretty sure, I hope he won't, but he might, he might actually, but. Uh, I don't know. I see them staying up for sure only because of the fact that there's more worrying teams in the Bundesliga right now than Wolfsburg. So yeah, if just by default, they'll be the fourth worst option. That's good enough to stay on top, isn't it? That's all it takes.
0: Yeah, the five points clear of the relegation spot now, uh, the relegation playoff spot, should I say. Uh, maybe Gladbach are in, are in deeper trouble than they are, uh, but I don't really see them getting sucked into it either uh, at the moment. But two teams who are in a lot of trouble are Hertha and Stuttgart. We'll, uh, we'll finish the Bundesliga section today by talking about them. Do you think they are, they are in, in serious bother relegation-wise? They both lost at the weekend. Do you see either of them being able to haul themselves out of trouble at this point?
1: To me, the thing with these two teams is that Stuttgart's problem seems a bit more solvable than Herta's? Because Herta, Herta's just a basket case. They, they threw, what, 200 million <laughs> euros worth of money at the problem and here we are discussing the problem. Uh, and, uh, how do you fix a team that has no, I don't know, there's no concept. Like It's not that we were signing players for a project or a certain profile of player. They were just signing names, you know, and names that weren't that spectacular <laughs> either. Like. And players that, you know, are just, you know, taking Hertha for what it is, which is literally another team to play for that's going to pay me decent money. I get to live in Berlin, which is always fun. Uh, And that's about it, really. Like, you you do see an attitude of players of not really taking the challenge seriously. Maybe now that, you know, going down is something worth discussing seriously, maybe that will change. But uh, it's still complicated. Where Stuttgart, I mean... Just fire Matarazzo at this point. Like, he, of course, you owe him a lot of gratitude. He had a great last season, but this season's been too much for him, and you can tell the players don't really perform any way different as they should be performing or perform anywhere near where they're performing last season. And I mean, if there's a moment, it's kind of now. There's ten games to go, thirty points to to, to you can actually, uh, you know, contest, and you kind of need at least fifteen of those thirty points to stay up. Twenty, if you want to be chill and just you know have some peace of mind. But these guys are averaging like 0.7 game, points per game, which is nothing. It's nowhere near what they actually should be scoring right now. They have to double those numbers at least. So that sounds to me a bit more solvable than, than Hertz's situation for no, without a doubt. But the problem is I don't see got anywhere near just letting Matarazzo go or just figuring a way out of improving that situation.
0: Yeah. Out of interest, how do you feel about the uh, the relegation playoff that they have in, in the Bundesliga? Do you think it's, it's fair that a team can finish third bottom of the league and, and still potentially stay up?
1: I mean, it made sense when it was first implemented because when it was first implemented, uh, the way they, they they distributed the money was not 80% first division, 20% second division, which is the case now. So now you're facing a team, uh, you as a th- third worst one in first division, that even in that situation, you're considerably over budgeted compared to the third best one in second division. So it's become just basically <laughs> like a really unfair fight. Uh, having said all that... The relegation games are arguably some of the best uh, games that Bundesliga has, and I think that's one of the main arguments to keeping it around. But it is a bit unfair, isn't it? I mean, especially now if you see how the table is in second division, they're literally kicking each other for first place every single weekend. They're changing the the, the leader of the table every single weekend. Uh, just give them the free spots. They've earned them already. Come on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been all this talk about the uh, the playoff at the other end of the table. Maybe fixing the Bundesliga in recent recent weeks, and uh, maybe it's time to look at the playoff at the bottom <laughs> of the table as well. Fix
1: it. No, fix it all. Fix it all.
0: <laughs> yeah, move. Fix everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on to some La Liga chat now, and we'll start with El Gran Derby, which Sevilla won two one over Real Betis on Sunday. Uh, firstly, why is it called El Gran Derby? Can you explain to the listeners?
1: Uh, it's basically grandeur. They can't call it a clásico because that's already trademarked for another game, which is, okay. you know, maybe you haven't heard about it, but it's uh, kind of big in Spain. Um, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the Gun Derby basically means, um, well, it's like the great derby. So it's sort of like this pompous way of announcing that Sevilla also has a really big match. And arguably, it's a really fun match to watch. Like, uh, Sevilla Betis always live up to expectations. There's a huge rivalry between them. And um, I think it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an apt name for that derby in any case.
0: Yeah, well, uh, well, Julian Lobotegui certainly had a, a grand old time uh, in that game, didn't he? He was, he was celebrating wildly at the end of the game, fist-pumping and all sorts. Um, do you think this is kind of uh, a season of, of redemption at last for him after his, his failure at Real Madrid and, and the drama with the Spanish national team at last World Cup? Is he, is he finally kind of back on track as a coach now?
1: I think so. I think uh, he's proven that he's worth it and uh, that he is a good coach. I mean, no one gets appointed for the, Nat- the Spanish national team and then Real Madrid if you're not that good. To begin with. And uh, the fact that mm. it, the team has been patient, like Sevilla has been patient with him and given him the time, given him the resources, the fact that he makes a great team with uh, Monchi, the sports director, that's, I don't know, you, you can see the team has a project, has an idea and the, the players are buying it and it's, it's, it's showing. I mean, they're what, second on the table right now, what is it, what, four, six points behind? Um,
0: six points. Six points yeah. behind
1: Real Madrid. So it's actually, you know, you can see that it's actually working and his plan is, is coming to fruition for sure
0: yeah absolutely I wonder what the, the next step in his career is not that he should be in any rush to leave Sevilla because he's having a great time there but you kind of think the Real Madrid job probably isn't going to come up again is it uh, you know Barcelona have got their coach for probably the next while now I wonder what you know maybe maybe back to Spain at some point if if Luis Enrique moves on maybe that would be a, a good step for Lopetegui and he can, he can get another crack at a World Cup who knows uh, Ivan Rakitic scored from the penalty spot for Sevilla in this game he's really become a, a leader in that team since going back there hasn't he he's having a bit of uh, sort of fisticuffs with uh at one point as well I seem to recall
1: <laughs> yeah I mean he's come around and he's become a, less, a bit less feisty with his with his uh, fellow players but uh I think it's also the fact that he's respected for who he is as a player he's won arguably more than anybody else in that club uh he's kind of you know he has made Sevi again his home and you can tell that he's kind of like bought into the whole cause and he's become basically one of the leaders for in the in the dressing room and uh he's showing that too not only by taking the penalty kicks but also like being one of the main people that at least in in the derby against betis was you know every time the ref had to like break up a scruffle rakitic was there so like it's a sort of attitude where he's like standing up for his teammates he's you know, giving hell to the to, to his competition. So mm. I don't know. It's, it's that sort of attitude that you expect from from the leader. He's finally showing those um, the, those uh, skills or, those, or the sort of like tool set that you're supposed to have for that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, interesting to note that Claudio Bravo played for Betis in this game. He uh, he gave the penalty away. Uh, he he wasn't great on the second goal either. I mean, I, I still have nightmares about his time at Man City. To be quite honest with you, uh, the, it all came flooding back to me when I watched this game. Um, how was how he done for better since joining them out. I mean, I noticed that he's kind of lost his, his, his uh, starting berth, his number one jersey recently and, and, and Rui, Sil- Rui Silva is, is better as his main goalkeeper. But why did he not play in this game and why did, why was Bravo picked, do you think?
1: Well, uh, Bravo also played uh, the previous Grand Derby this season. So I think there's a bit of calma right. there from Pellegrini in that regard. Because honestly, I can't give you like a reason why Rui Silva was benched because you know there is no real technical reason for that. But the re- reality is that Bravo has seen a fair amount of games this season. I think it's 10 in the league so far. Uh, and he's been performing to like a decent level for someone 38, and his numbers are not that w- much worse than, than, than Ruiz Silva's. So I think mm-hmm. Pellegrini is just trying to like, you know, foster a bit more of this competition among the keepers and just keep them in a really high level of form, you know, knowing both of them that being a starter is not necessarily guaranteed, especially for this sort of game. And, well, I mean, this game he did kind of cost Betis the match, didn't he? But uh, <laughs> besides that, I mean, he's had an okay run. I think he's, what, like 10, go- like 10 games and 12 goals conceded, 14 goals conceded, so it's... You know, mm. kind of what the team is averaging. Too point. bad. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. you could, I mean, yeah. you can live with that if you're 38, specific, especially. And also, <laughs> I reckon there's a Chilean connection there with both of them. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just, I don't know, helping a bit, uh, to keep, you know, Silva on his toes and making sure that in the long run, he's sort of like the main cast member, but make, taking advantage of the fact we have a really good veteran, even though maybe not in City, but that, uh, you know, did, uh, he did win two Copa, uh, Copa Americas. So he has that on his back, which, yeah. you know, it's not bad to have in your curriculum.
0: Yeah, he's he's had a big career, hasn't he? He's he's a a very experienced player with leadership qualities, I'm sure. And he's fit fit for for,
1: for once. So take advantage of that, I'd say.
0: Yeah, there we go, yeah. There were a couple of other veterans on on both sides of this game as well. There was 40-year-old Joaquin uh, playing for Betis and (laughs) 36-year-old Jesus Navas, uh, another X-Man City player there, playing for Sevilla. Do you think this will be their their final derby?
1: Well, Joaquin, it seems... uh... I mean, the guy had a grand time at the Derby because it was a really interesting game. Had a bit of cups here and there, and he was just sitting at the bench, just aching to go on the pitch and beating up Juan Jordan for a couple <laughs> dives he took. Um, but yeah, like I think I think it becomes le- it's becoming less and less likely to see Joaquin in another Grand Derby. Maybe he'll sign for another year. Uh, his contract is exp- uh, done this season, I think. Um, but he's now starting from the bench most of the games. So I do see it kind of unlikely to see a 41-year-old Joaquin playing this but Nava still has two years left in his contract so I'm sure he's going to get one more crack at this and he didn't have a bad game either so you could kind of see that the guy is still you know on it fully um and yeah I just I, I it would be great to see him definitely it's he's a fun player to watch he's good at what he does he's a leader for them as well and uh, I think that's one of the b- main things that Sevilla has now. Like a good set of leaders and first-line players that are there for whenever you need them the most. And uh, now is for sure part of that squad.
0: Yeah. Well, we mentioned that they're, they're six points behind Real Madrid in the in the chase for the La Liga title. They do play Real Madrid in April at the sanchez Pisoan. Do you think they've, they've got a chance of the title, Sevilla? Or do you think Real Madrid are just going to be too strong this season?
1: I mean, it's not up to them necessarily. But uh, playing, still having one game against uh, against Real Madrid at home, and the fact that uh, they're basically on a roll, and Lopez team is playing really, really well. It's I think it's not a clo- it's not far fetched to you know ask if Sevilla is able to you know come back from six points around Madrid, but uh, it also consists of Madrid dropping points, and that's I think the trickier part because they seem kind of settled right now in more of a mood of playing an okay game, not going 100 percent throttle, just win one nil, do whatever you have to do, and. Uh, yeah, whatever comes out of that. And it's been working so far for Ancelotti with this. And I think that's the bigger challenge, hoping Madrid could drop a point here. Actually, it would be interesting now that I think of it, because we still have one classic in hand as well, don't we? So yes. that'd be beautiful, wouldn't it? That, you know, Barca pulled a switcheroo on <laughs> Madrid and then, say, uh, knock him out of the first place. Oh, I'd live for that, mate. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, there's,
0: there's still there's still a lot to play for in this league. There's yeah, yeah, still a lot to play an for. It's an interesting I season
1: think. for sure. I'm really looking forward to this, yeah.
0: There's quite a lot of good title races, actually, this season. You know, England yeah. looked like it was a foregone conclusion for a while. That's back in business. Yeah. It's going crazy in Italy. Uh, it's, yeah. it's it's uh It's looking good in Spain. Not so much in Germany, but we'll, uh, we'll ignore that one. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and not so much in France <laughs> either. But, yeah, you know. Not too bad. Yeah, three out of five could, five was could be worse, not bad. <laughs> indeed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, what about Betis? I mean, they're still third in the in the La Liga, uh, just one point ahead of ahead of Barca. And Barca have got a, got a game in hand. Atlético Madrid also got a game in hand. Do you think Betis have, are letting their their grip on a top four place uh, slip a little bit too much at the moment?
1: I mean, I'd love to see them there. I really, I really would love mm. Betis to go to the Champions League. I think they've fully burned the season. Pellegrini as a coach has proven to be, you know, the sort of leader among leaders in the team. Uh, it'd be great to see you there, but it's getting mighty crotty up there, isn't it? Like, bars are back in shape. Atletico are suddenly find their steady ground again. Sevilla, I mean, we've been talking about them basically the whole Spanish section of the podcast. Real Madrid, Real Madrid, like, leaders right now. So, I mean, they would definitely have to pull some sort something magical to to make it happen. It's not, it's not crazy to think they will, but it's very, very complicated to say right now that uh, – You know, they have what it takes to be a Champions League team, given the the current situation and basically the calendar they have. Because they have to play Atletico Madrid uh, this weekend, actually. Uh, And then they play Barca and Madrid. So they have to play all top three other teams. So they have to win those three three games, plus, uh, you know, (laughs) Bilbao, Celta, Real Sociedad, uh, Valencia. So it's not an easy calendar, to be honest with you.
0: Definitely not. Yeah, yeah. Well, Real Madrid are, are six points clear at the top. As we said, they won a derby of their own at the weekend, beating Rayo Vallecano. That's uh, not really sort of a very well-known derby, is it? But but I know the Rayo fans really, really hate Real Madrid. So yeah, yeah. There's That's also nice. an
1: ideological thing there. Uh, Rayo are very associated with like a you know the, the, the left sort of community, the workers' community mm. in in, uh, in Madrid. Real Madrid is obviously quite the opposite. So um, there's sort of like that little social aspect uh, component to it as well, which makes it a very, very intense game, especially in Vallecas.
0: Mm. Yeah. Karim Benzema scored the winning goal uh, late in that game. Uh, He's... Obviously, an incredible form at the moment. Incredible player. How long do you think he can keep being this good, though? Because he's thirty-four. No, you know, he's he's no, he's no spring chicken. Um, he's he's linking up beautifully with with Vinicius at the moment. Do you think maybe killing Mbappe coming in in the summer, if that happened, will will give uh, Benzema kind of an extension on his on his career, or do you think he's after this year, it might start uh, going downhill a little bit?
1: I don't know, honestly, because even though he's thirty-four, he doesn't play like a thirty-four-year-old. Like he's still very dynamic. Yeah. He does move a lot. He does come back for the ball. He can tackle were there uh, and he can score both feet in the head so he's not necessarily you know fully out of his element he's there and like you're saying the team is only going to get better next season uh, so he's not going to be the only guy linking with Vinicius he's also going to have more company and other, other players namely you know uh, Mbappe if he comes over or you know the team is just going to keep on improving one way or another. I don't see Benzema slowing down anytime soon and I think that's one of the main things that Madrid has had in him that they haven't had to sign a, a, like a, a proper striker in a while because this maybe says Jovic but, but Benzema has been like a guarantee there and he's like just think about the amount of money Madrid have, had, have been able to you know save uh, by not having to replace him and uh, I think that's allowed Madrid to sort of like, re, like re-strategize and re- re-understand the market and just bring in these youngsters play a bit play a the long ball a bit more, and uh, just keep him around doing his thing. He's still doing it. Nineteen goals this season. Mm. He's giving assists as well. He's he's formidable. Form
0: everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And someone else who's in formidable form is Thibaut Courtois. He made some very good saves in this game as well. Do you think it's uh, it's an exaggeration to say that he's been the best goalkeeper in Europe this season? I can't think of anyone who's performed better than him to be honest.
1: Not this season, definitely. I mean. Uh, no, I don't. I, I can't think of one either because I mean, Neuer's done what he's been able to do. Who was also like a name in contention usually. Old Black has been terrible. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't. Know. In the Premier League, I can't think of one that's been 100 consistent. No, I can't maybe, think of anyone. but, about Italy, but even really? Then, yeah, or, like I yeah. can't really see one anywhere. And I mean, I'm not going to bring the, the the PSG keepers into the discussion because why would I? But <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Like to me, he seems to be rock solid at this point. He seems to be back in his best game. Last season was a bit iffy with a couple things, but. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's what, 11 clean sheets so far? It's, it's insane, really. Like, he's having a really, decent. really good season. Yeah.
0: It really is. Uh, Barcelona thrashed Athletic Club 4 0 on Sunday night. Uh, they seem to be getting better and better with each game at the moment, don't they, Barca?
1: I mean, uh, there's no good wind unless you know to which port you're sailing, is what the saying usually says. And Barca kind of <laughs> lost the North a long time ago. Like, it was a club that was going through the motions with, with Kuman, and keeping Kuman was like, you know basically making, signing off the season as a season that if we make it to Europe, that'd be good. Xavi has done a good mm-hmm. job at stabilizing uh, not only what the team is able to do, but also what the team thinks they can do. And I think that's one of the main things uh, that has changed with, with Xavi coming over. The team believes in itself again. Uh, and you know, he stabilized an erotic dressing room. There's no other way to put it. Uh, at the same time, you have Alemani, the sports manager, doing an amazing job finding really, really good deals and signing players left and right. Uh, and I think they have a finding chance that maybe not the title, but definitely qualifying the Champions League was sort of like the objective they kind of had written off at one point of this season. So I don't know, I do see them a lot better than uh, they've been in every single match as you say is a lot is a good is, is more and more proof that they're going in the right direction so I mean fair to them I suppose
0: yeah yeah, I have to say to be honest I, I, you said they've been going through the motions I, I feel like that was the case even before Coleman. like probably since Luis Enrique they've hmm. been kind of going through the motions I didn't think Valverde was very good coach for them I didn't think Setien was very good so it feels like they've, they've finally got a kind yeah. of man to build the project around again now doesn't it
1: that's true and it's also not only that it's the fact that I mean, all that was happening, but he had Messi, and Messi would just single-handedly like, drive into something. Uh, granted, they wouldn't, they haven't they been champion league contenders in a while, but uh, the team would still have a fighting chance in the league and all that. Now with the whole internal political crisis they've been going through, the whole debt issue that they have to still face, uh, Laporta coming back and Xavi coming in and a bunch of new names being added, Adama, Aubameyang, etc., Mm. um daniel is of course like you do see a team that is more cohesive sports-wise and a team that is definitely more motivated to just even believe in themselves which is something yeah. that was not a given what three months ago maybe
0: <laughs> yeah i've been i've been pretty skeptical about their transfer strategy in, in recent months as well it's been a bit like a kid playing FIFA Ultimate Team at times. It feels like hasn't <laughs> very it really? money but, ball,
1: It feels to me a little yeah, bit as well. but
0: but uh, <laughs> you know they've uh, they, they've got Obama Young scoring goals. That signing seems to have gone really well so far. They've yeah. got Dembele coming off the bench and, and scoring a, a brilliant goal and, and getting two assists in this game against Athletic. Um, do you think yeah. Dembele maybe as a, a future at Barca after all?
1: I think it's up to his agent more than him at this point. It's it's all about the money because that's what broke <laughs> down the, the negotiation at one point. Like they were going, they had made some relative progress, but. Uh, then they slammed that they wanted a sign-on clause, a sign-on bonus. Sorry, they wanted to reduce the the release clause, a couple of things, one more year. Like it became like a hefty contract and and very complicated thing for them to ask for. Him staying, it's a bit iffy. Honestly, I don't think at this point there's a there's there's a going back. It's more it feels more like a redemption kind of fair world tour of the guy uh, more than anything. Because I mean, he has <laughs> been disappointing for three seasons. So the grand scheme of things, is he really worthy of paying whatever it is he's asking for? Doubtful, but it is a shame because it, it, I mean, you did see in his, in, in his face during the match, like when he came on, he was just annoyed. He was, he just knew there, he was going to be, you know, being shouted at and being called things from, the, from his own fans.
0: Getting okay, whistled by yeah, exactly. his own fans. Wasn't yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah.
1: once that's the environment... You don't really play motivated. It was, but fair play to Xavi and his t- and his teammates for making the most out of the situation and you know keeping him involved. And I think that when he scored the goal and everyone went to huddle with him, that was really nice and kind of gives you a sense that. You know he. The team has his back again, and uh, that's a really pretty thing to see in football. Sometimes,
0: absolutely, yeah. And, and Pedri is just an astonishingly good player, yeah, well, isn't he? And, and had a great game again here. Uh, Xavi compared him to, to Iniesta after the game. I mean, I suppose if anyone can make that comparison, it's, it's Xavi. Uh, is that a fair comparison? <laughs> do you think?
1: I mean, if there's anyone that can make that comparison to Shabi, I think if there's one Marcia prospect to emulate, and yesterday it's Pedri, it's definitely. Yeah. The kid is, I mean, he played, what was it, 62 matches last season between national team yeah. and the club, which is insane. You know, there's 52 weeks in the year <laughs> and this kid is playing 62 games, which is it's just baffling it's like nba and,
0: style uh yeah that, for someone that isn't it yeah
1: Hockey's oh. 83 and, <laughs> and basket's 80 and baseball's 160 so this kid's it's 100 games short of playing a baseball season let's put it that yeah. way. <laughs> um so yeah i mean he's, he's been doing great and uh he's back from his injury and you know he's he has a future ahead of him and he's already proven himself to be good enough to be a starting player and uh you know, saving distances. Maybe he's kind of earned that sort of badge that maybe Busiala has at iron or many of the youngsters. Kind of Phil Foden had at one point in Man City. That they're young, know, young players that have good enough quality to bench, you know, players with a lot of experience worth a lot of money because they are class. And Bedi is definitely like one of the best prospects uh, out there in, in worldwide football at this point by a mile, definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah. I felt very sorry for Balenciaga for that uh, that uh, little skill that he pulled off at him when he put it through his legs. Did you?
1: I mean it just hurt to watch didn't it yeah
0: (laughs) not a lot you can do about that is there really (laughs) Um, a few weeks ago Atletico Madrid lost to Levante Uh, do you think that was their rock bottom there was some talk about you know Simeone being at the end of his the end of the road the end of his tether whatever you want to call it after that game they have they seem to have bounced back quite significantly since that though
1: yeah I mean they're they're I think there was a lot of soul searching after that defeat. I mean, you lost the last team in the Liga, um, Levante, who were having a really complicated season. Like, I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's pretty complicated there. Um, yeah. And to see them, you know, kind of like come back to the census, to see, I don't know, the sort of sense of urgency is, is kind of back in what Atletico, like that intensity that we're used to seeing from a team from Simeone. Is there again? Whereas this whole season has kind of in this cruise control, let's play play by ear situation, where you just it didn't feel like 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 Atletico, you know. It just felt like this team dressed in red and white that, you know, was doing their best, but not necessarily doing well. And um,
0: it didn't feel like Simeone's Atletico, at all, did it? At that, was it the, felt, that was the key. It felt yeah. stale,
1: you know. And that is definitely not the case with with Simeone. And I mean, it's not like he lost eighty players. I mean, Suarez is still there. You still have now you have Griezmann back. Like, you have a bunch of players that. Understand what Simeone is about and kind of transmit what he what he does on the pitch, but I, it just it was dull to watch them at one point, and I don't remember ever saying that yeah. about the Liga you know. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, uh, Renan Lodi scoring scoring two goals in this uh, this win at the weekend uh, what was yeah. is he uh, is he the new the new trippier for them? Do you think the new kind of hybrid I mean, fullback slash winger.
1: Yeah, I think that's sort of like really really in fashion right now, isn't it? Dumfries is doing at Inter as well quite a lot. So Lodis is mm-hmm. kind of like backing up on that strategy. And uh I think this is a consequence of letting Trippier go without an adequate substitute. Uh And Simeone had been scrambling to now to fix the absence. Like he had to like redesign his defense a little bit, which was partly to blame for why Atletico went through this little slump and Uh, Close of 2021 and also 2022 because the trip your thing had been rolling since last year, actually. Um, So I do think they kind of needed that little extra edge on how to push forward from behind, which is something that they didn't really have a tool for. They're finding it in Lodi of all places, which is really interesting. Uh, but, yeah I remember like Simone playing guys like like hermoso on the on the wide, which is you know mm-hmm. unthinkable but uh i mean it's it 's paying off for both player and club, so I think it's 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 really good and uh but yeah it definitely has that sort of like trippier you know depth kind of runner feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: it certainly does, yeah. Uh, Villarreal are in great form. Uh, statistically the best team in La Liga in 2022. They're up to sixth in the table. They beat Espanol 5-1 on Sunday with 19-year-old Jeremy Pino becoming the first La, Le- La Liga player ever to score four goals in one... No, the, sorry, the youngest La Liga player ever to score four <laughs> goals in one match. The first Villarreal player to score four goals in one match uh, in yeah. one La Liga Premier match. Sorry, I got there in the end. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now, can, can, can you explain to me, Danny, why uh, they call it a poker in Spain when someone scores four goals?
1: Oh, four of a kind. It's uh, oh, that's as that. Yeah. Okay, just like the game. Enough. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I was oh, more elaborate
0: explanation than that. Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: like, you know the card game where if you get four, you call it poker. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing.
0: Oh, right, right, okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, like Villarreal are doing fantastically well right now. Pino is, I think, one of the best uh, like youngsters out there in Spain as well. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of, there's an interesting batch of players, that are, of young players in Spain right now uh, coming through the ranks. And, I mean, he's, he's been doing okay for his age. Six goals for assists for 25 games, so he's seeing a lot of action. Uh, and the team I don't, kind of has kind of picked up the slack a little bit uh, And for play to them. It's nice to see how them, adding them to the equation of of a tighter and tighter race up top. I just, I needed that extra level, you know, level and they're bringing it to it for sure.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Have you been impressed by how they've coped particularly without Gerard Moreno in recent weeks? And do you think they can, they can creep into the top four in the final weeks of the
1: season? I mean, yeah, like I was saying with Betis, it's kind of complicated because it's really crowded up there now. And I don't Mm. think they have, we don't have necessarily all the gas in their tank to do it, but I do see them scaring more than, than one when it comes down to the to qualifying places in Europe in general. Um, it's it's really interesting squad. Like you said, they've been the best team of the, uh, this 2022 so far, to the point that they're now sixth in qualifiers, and the qualifications are at the table. Um, and, yeah, like, I do see them definitely outperforming Real Sociedad. They will definitely complicate things for both civilian teams. Um, will it be good enough to challenge Barca, Atlético Madrid, and Real Madrid? I'm not 100% sure of that, but it's nice to see that they kind of turn around a season that was kind of not turning into a mess, but definitely was far from, from optimal from their standpoint, wasn't it?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, just a quick word on Valencia. They won 1-0 at Mallorca, they of, of a stunning goal from Gabriel Paulista. didn't know he had that in his locker. Are we calling <laughs> that a, a goal of the season contender, do you think?
1: I mean, it's it, it's definitely up there. It was beautiful. They slammed it, what, 35 metres out? So it's like a proper you know, smack to the ball fun thing about it is he hadn't played since October uh, this was the game his comeback from injury uh, and I think that was like what the, the fourth ball he touched in the match it was like really early in the game so fair play to Gabriel stuff for you know shocking the world with that you know Shoot! That way, was it. Left corner, yeah.
0: To the and I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Amazing goalkeeper, had no chance. No chance, dude. Didn't, didn't see it coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll wrap up today with a, a, a quick look at the the other end of the La Liga table. Catafé uh, could only draw two two with Alaves, despite uh, two more goals from Enaz Unel. Uh, Enes Unal, should I say, meaning he has now scored 13 goals in his last 15 games. Uh, How good is he, do you think? Me and Noel were talking about him a few weeks ago. And and how well do you think Kike Sanchez-Flores has done to steer Hatafe away from relegation trouble in recent weeks?
1: I mean, those are Holland numbers. Like, he's scoring a proper amount of goals with a team that isn't necessarily the best qualified to have a 13 goals every 15 matches kind of player, right? So, there's, I mean, fair play to him, to the team for also pulling this off. Um, and, I mean, there's definitely some quality there. He He's kind of a hard fit here and there because it's not his first station uh, for Enes, is it? So, the thing, I don't know, like the motions there kind of led to things. Maybe Kike Sacha Flores found something to work around with him. And it, it's doing the trick, definitely. And regarding the team, it really is impressive uh, what they're doing right now. Um, every result, every... Even though the results have kind of like cooled down in the past three match days, uh, they haven't won. I think in those, they've only had one defeat in the last five and two in the last twelve, which is not bad at all for a team like Hidafi. Even in the situation, not even like putting putting aside the context this is happening in. This is in any season for Hidafi, the good or the bad ones, uh, like monumental. Like they were never known for being like a powerhouse or a team able to. You know, balance out the amount of defeats that kind of had. So to see this happen with with such a Florida's of all people, it's it's quite nice, really.
0: Yeah, is is he pretty highly rated in in Spain? Because uh, you know, in England, he's had uh, pretty two uh, two pretty unsuccessful <laughs> stints at Watford. Let's say he's, he doesn't have the the greatest <laughs> reputation, but uh, is he a good? Well, is he rated uh, as a good coach?
1: He's he's one of those like you know fetishist coach kind of guy. Like, <laughs> you know, like people that are really into the game in Spain. Oh, okay, Sanchez Flores, what a guy. Like that sort of thing. Right? He's not like obviously up there with your Olympic bit and whatnot, but he's the sort of guy that someone who appreciates football in Spain or Spanish football at least kind of has like a sort of soft spot for him. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Do you know that his uh, his auntie, I think it was, was a very famous flamenco dancer in Spain. Really? Yeah, Lola Flores. Uh, and, Lola Flores. And also his dad played for Real Madrid. And his godfather is Alfredo Di Stefano. So that's some pretty decent Spanish stock that he comes on, I think we can say, can't we? Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's (laughs) that's
1: not a bad legacy, definitely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Better than his Watford legacy, that's for sure. For sure, man. (laughs) Uh, Final question. Can Alaves survive relegation and is there still some hope for Levante? I
1: mean, Alaves have only won what one game since November, I think is what I read earlier. So, Mm. Would you put money down on a team staying up if they've only won one game since in the past four months? Eh, I wouldn't. But yeah. you never know. There could always be a worse team. But you know, that said, I think Levante is just a hopeless scenario at this point. I think
0: They're they're on a three match unbeaten run, mate.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> man. Like this is the sort of thing that's gonna not work out that well. It's been twenty six games and it's what, three games they've won in total, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, three undefeated. No, they they drew uh against Celta. They beat Elche 3-0, they beat Atletico Madrid, which is a big shocker. Uh and Mallorca
0: They've won three games in the whole season. Yeah, yeah that's it, right. that's
1: yeah. it, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I don't see them nah. I think it's,
0: it's <laughs> seven the seven points away from safety, so it's 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 tricky that one isn't. Doable
1: it? but not yeah. achievable necessarily, is it? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, that's a podcast, I think. That's a podcast, isn't that's it? one for you. That's a podcast. Uh, no sign of Noel, unfortunately. He must be having a siesta or something. He was the, uh, the Chekhov's gun that unfortunately never materialised in this podcast. But maybe we'll get him on next week. We'll see. Uh, I will be back next week uh, with with some guests uh, yet to be confirmed. And it's the the Champions League again next week and the Europa League and the Conference League. So we'll be talking all about that. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to get your questions in or comments or queries or whatever to any of our podcasts, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com. Take care and we'll see you next time.